This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, uh, thank you very much for coming, and I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, today we have with us... Thank you. Hello. Ivan Reitman, the director and also a producer. Tom Pollock, executive producer. And Joe, and Joe Medjik, producer. Well, that was wonderful. That's absolutely fabulous. And, I mean, you could just feel the feeling in the room at the end of it. It's really quite powerful. It's nice to show it here, too, you know. Oh, in the yeah. Pollock Theater, That's all right. three of us have either lived quite a long time or continue to live uh, here in Montecito, John Debney, who's the composer, partially lives here. And uh, Kevin just, Costner. Kevin Costner lives up here, so it's kind of. This, is a, this is a Santa Barbara Montecito movie. There's just <laughs> no right. question about it. His <laughs> um, football is so big here. I'm going to try. Exactly. Undefeated since 1971, right? Um, yeah, I, I'm going to start off with a couple of, just ask you a couple of questions and then turn it over to the audience to, to ask. Uh, Ivan, first for you, uh, you're known for doing comedies, Ghostbusters, Stripes. What was it like turning to drama? And I mean, obviously there are laughs in it and it's heartwarming, but what's the difference? Uh, what did you have to think about differently? It's a wonderful script. I read it in the middle of the night um, and couldn't put it down. And by the time I got to the last page, I knew somehow that I was going to direct it. And it was more serious. I guess it harkens back more to this movie, uh, to the movie Dave that I did a few years ago. And even, uh, thank you, I appreciate it. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not asking for it. Uh, and I just, um, I've been wanting to do things a little more seriously. I, I just love the story. I loved um, uh, the mistakes that the Kevin Costner character makes and how he somehow fights his way back at the end of it and um, I felt very comfortable doing it so I, I don't think about how funny or not funny a film is really is it a story that you know I can engage with and maybe do something with I actually do think I'm just to follow up with that I do think there is this moment where you think that he's completely lost his mind and he's done something there's absolutely no way out is that the name of another one of his movies, by the way? <laughs> it's the magic trick of the script. You yeah. know, it was right there. I remember reading. I remember, you know, at about four o'clock in the morning, thinking, "What the hell is he doing?" <laughs> He's in a lot of trouble, and um, wondering how the writers were going to get us out of this. They did. They did. Obviously, uh, Tom. Just a quick question for you, because I mean. You know, you're an executive producer, former head of a studio, very aware of commercial issues, I'm sure, when you're thinking about something like this. This is an extremely American story. And what, 60% now of revenues on film come from overseas? Um, Did that give you palpitations? It certainly gave us pause. Um, (laughs) uh, We knew all of that, uh, that that football, American football is not a big sport internationally. it's, uh, as you're right, 60 closer now to 70% of the revenues come from abroad. It wasn't going to be easy to open the movie. All of, all of that is on one side of the scale, as Humphrey Bogart says in Maltese Falcon. But on the other side of the scale, as Ivan said, it was a great script. And uh, number one on the blacklist, that is the list of unproduced screenplays, 
And when it finally came down to it, um, you end up making movies because you believe they're going to be great and not because you think you're going to make a lot of money because half the time when you think you are, you aren't. And sometimes when you think you aren't, you do. And you don't know. And so you go with your passion. And it's why we ended up trying to do it, not because we thought it would be a hit. We still don't know. But we knew it was good. So we made it. I think it's, I mean, I, I think it's terrific. Uh, Joe, um, I know from, we, we tried to have dinner several times together, and you were always in Cleveland. So, um, where the food is much better the than food you is, imagine. I wouldn't have said, that's excellent, I didn't know that. that's excellent news. That. Um, so, I mean, how, how accurate is the depiction of that draft room in that day? I mean, how, how authentic is it, how much, what was the research you did to get it to the point where, um, we have a sense that we're really in a room where this is happening. Well, the Cleveland Browns were incredibly cooperative. Uh, the slight hitch was their headquarters was actually going to be about to go into reconstruction after the first time Ivan saw it. So nevertheless, when he drives up, that's the Rio headquarters. When he walks in, it is the field house uh, where they have the party and where he talks to Vontae Mack on the phone is their Rio field house. And the... Um, field they practice on is their practice field, but partly because of the reconstruction and also because, as Ivan pointed out, whether they're under reconstruction or not, they probably didn't want us you know, in there for 30 days. So we then rebuilt an approximation of their offices and, and the war room especially. You went into, Ivan went to the war room and saw what it was like, and then we, it's at a, the war room and Sonny's office and the area around the office is at a community college somewhere on the outskirts of Cleveland. And did you, did you all... Well, that's accurate. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's did you spend time um, with them in the war room while they were going through, undergoing the process of the draft, or did you watch that? We were shooting when they were in the draft. We uh, were in Radio City Music Hall. Um, so the extraordinary thing that, uh, that we were allowed to do by the NFL is that, frankly, I had my own crew plus the ESPN and the NFL networks. Their footage uh, all came to us. Uh, and I was able to move my uh, actors through what was really going on. Uh, Kevin Dunn sits right at the table, and he's there during the first round. And I, we asked all the people at the team tables, the 32 team tables, that are at the front of Radio City Music Hall to come back the next day. When I was able to do close-ups and coverage, uh, I wanted to make sure they wore the same sh- you know, shirts and ties and jackets so that they would match themselves from the first night where they played. So uh, the, the real complexity of shooting at Radio City was it was their show, not ours. There was 4,000 people there at nights. And they also, so they allowed us to shoot at nights. We had to shoot outside part of the time at nights. Uh, we shot during the day where we shot ESPN and NFL. And we just filled all that stuff in. And we also got the green room, the real green room, full of the real people who were being drafted that first night. Green room is actually right on stage. It's behind all the set, and they've set up about 10 or 20 tables for the 20 invited draftees and their families. And that's, an, uh, that's actually where the action is. That's mm-hmm. a remarkable place, and we try to recreate some of that feeling, both with documentary footage of what was going on that first night with the real people and then recreating it in the next couple of afternoons where I had a certain number of hours. If you listen carefully, you can actually hear the... Cause I think the next day the draft begins at around 4 o'clock or noon, 
And it's going on. It's, it's just not as fancy, and there's music playing, and we're, we're just filming all through that. We could not have made this movie without the active uh, cooperation and participation of the NFL. Obviously, without, without them, you don't get to use the real names of the teams. You don't get, it, we, we couldn't have made the movie with any sense of reality at all. And uh, they were awesome. Uh, to allow it, actually. I mean, how hard was it to, to get them to agree? Was it, uh, was it a, a, a roller coaster ride, or was it relatively it, straightforward? It was a long process, but it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't, they take their time in doing it, but it wasn't hard. It wasn't like there were insurmountable barriers. They, they wanted approvals to make sure that things weren't, you know, that we didn't do any bad things, but we didn't. We weren't, you know, we were making a movie, quite frankly, that, that, really lets the audience in behind the scenes of what really goes on. Uh, they're excited about it, and to the extent that we are able to do any business overseas, that, that helps them. They sure. would like to export the game of football abroad. They're, they have, they're one of the great brands of America, and they're a, a marketing behemoth. They know exactly what they're doing, and it wasn't by accident that they... That they went along with us, including Roger Goodell, obviously, who yeah. agreed to be, <laughs> to be on screen announcing our picks as well as uh, uh, the picks. Uh, that, that they liked the script. Yeah. I mean, it starts with I mean, the script. Great. And as uh, yeah. soon as they read it, they knew this was something they wanted to be involved with, and they just wanted us to be accurate. That was really most of the work. Look, I could continue to ask questions all afternoon, but I'd rather turn it to, uh, to the audience. Could Let's start right here, I guess. Oh. Um, uh, first of all, the, the viewing experience at the Pollock Theater was gorgeous. And Thank you. I had never, <laughs> never seen anything like it. It's like a big 4K TV up there. It's beautiful. So thank you. And I see a lot of movies. This was a perfect movie. There wasn't a false note in it. I loved it. Every twist and turn was beautiful. I just went with the whole thing. I don't know what you're going to make with it, but it was a great, great movie. It was just perfect. Thank you. That's a really good question. I was going to say the best question you could have. Our, our answer to that question is yes. <laughs> Joe Palatino. So a ringer. could you talk a little about the editing? Because a lot of the dramas, phone conversations that were going on, I stole my brother's question, sorry. There, there are people in other rooms, but you're bringing them together through editing. So was that some from the script or just a discovery out of what you were doing? Uh, are, you, are you speaking yeah. about the split screens? Yeah. yeah. The, well, one of the that problems... Joe Palladino. Hi, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the real problems of the script was, and it's the truth of uh, draft A and draft week, is... It's all on the telephone. You know, I, uh, most people think, oh, the draft happens right there in Radio City. Uh, it's a television show. But it's not. It's, it's all this drama going on in 32 cities and 32 war rooms and all the last-minute negotiations, and there's quite a lot of it. Uh, we probably packed more into one day what usually happens in three or four days. But all that stuff really does happen in much the way we, we showed it. But it's, virtually all of it is on the telephone. And so I think there's something like 16 telephone calls in the movie. And I said, it's going to be a very dull-looking movie if I just... Uh, even if I played traditional split-screen, I didn't think that was going to be very interesting. And um, even uh, just as we started shooting, um, I hired uh, two people who had actually done the credits for 
uh, our son's uh, Jason's movies. Up in the air. Uh, he did it up in the air. He did Juno. He's, they're very well known for doing these very clever um, uh, digital ideas for the credits. And I, I said, look, I'm going to be doing these split screens. Let's see what we can do with it, how we can play with it. Because I knew we had to play with it somehow. And uh, because of really di digital technology, we were able to pull people out of their own backgrounds and, um, and move it around the way you see in the film. And we had to learn, we had to create a vocabulary for that. And I did it in the shooting, and then we really worked on it in the editing room a lot. We, we basically cut scenes a number of different ways. We cut it as if um, there was not going to be any split screens, and we just did it very traditionally. And then we did it if the whole scene was split screen. And then we finally, we, um, we started realizing if we just left the whole, every phone conversation as a split screen scene, we were losing a lot of opportunity for dramatic impact, the reaction shots, all the kinds of things that we as audiences have come to rely on as part of the film-going vocabulary. And um, so we started doing lots of stuff. And finally ended up here. What I realized is by the time we get to that, those two big negotiations in the last act of the film, we were going to actually cut way back on the split screens. That I had to slow things really down. And you can't slow it down when, you're, when both people are on the screen at the same time because they have to be in sync. And they're not really there at the same time. So there was lots of very uh, tricky things. But it was great fun to sort of figure it out. But uh, I should also add that although the scenes were shot, obviously, not at the same time, uh, Kevin Costner almost always showed up to do his end of the conversation. When he was off screen. Yeah, when he was off screen. Even if it was like an early morning shoot and it was in a car. You know, he would get in, in the follow car and while Ivan was directing, and he would be doing it live for, to help the other actors, which was really helpful. And well, we it was very really, appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering about the actual usage of the NFL teams. Obviously, you couldn't have known come February that the Seahawks were going to be the champions. Um, I'm a diehard Niners fan. I just have to throw that out there. Um, so having the Seahawks are the number one, the Browns, Chiefs, Texans, like, was that just part of the script or personal allegiance? And you're like, I want my team in there. Well, we had to get permission from the teams themselves, even though the NFL agreed. They couldn't push any single team into being in the film if they didn't want to. And um, we, in fact, out of, out of the teams, in fact, the Jets were going to be the, the team, the Tom Michaels team. And um, uh, I think it was written originally as Detroit. Then it was the Jets who had agreed to do it. The, the, but the Jets were getting more and more nervous, and they wouldn't give us their absolute agreement. And finally sort of said they were pulling out the weekend before the draft, four days before the draft. And we had to know who it was because obviously we had to have Goodell announce it and um, we had to shoot at the right team table for all that action. The Jets were nervous because they had their own quarterback controversy, uh, if you know football, and they continued to have some. And they were worried that he, somehow their fans would uh, virtually burn them in effigy and, so, um, <laughs> and somehow confuse what was a fictional story with what was really going on in their in their front offices, so they backed out. And um, I remember Ali Bell and I and Joe were all running around uh, trying to figure out who we could get to substitute. We started calling all the teams. 
Uh, I called up John Nordstrom, who lives here as well, or part of the year, who's uh, part of uh, you know the sort of football morning breakfast club where we bet on teams. <laughs> That's what <laughs> to say that. I guess he doesn't bet, though. Um, and he, he used to own the Seattle Seahawks, and I was a big Seattle Seahawks fan, actually, for the last two years. And, uh, just the last two years? Yeah. Some of us have been a little longer than that. I just well, want to be clear about hey, that. I grew up in Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, and so he, um, I said, well, you think you can help us? And he, uh, it was a Sunday before the Thursday, and he called up the, um, the team president who called me back in a half an hour. And uh, they had agreed by that evening, um, by dinner time that day, they said, we've checked with Paul Allen. Uh, if, if we say yes to you, we want to know that you're not going to change your mind. They were as concerned that we were, because they had heard that we were starting to call other teams. And uh, so we closed it all up. Uh, it was like the movie. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, in Scott and Rajiv's original script was not the Cleveland Browns, it was the Buffalo Bills that was the, uh, the team that we were concentrating on. And we had made a lot of plans to shoot there and then for budgetary reasons. One of the reasons we got this movie made is uh, it was, in movie terms, very inexpensive. And uh, uh, Ohio is one of those states that, states that encourage you to shoot there by giving you a lot of money back. So we had to move from upstate New York to Ohio and of the teams in Ohio, Cleveland, see, with its history of um, sports uh, and losing... Uh, seemed very appropriate, so uh, it moved. But, but Rajiv yeah. is actually from Cleveland. That's we kept true. running into his relatives when we were shooting, <laughs> and uh, he hadn't said it in Cleveland originally because it was just too too heartbreaking, <laughs> telling the story of and he'd said and the story of Buffalo is fairly similar, except they didn't have a team lead, but you know in terms of the kind of city it is and the problems with the football team, so it was very easy to just say you know make a Cleveland and then add the things about the true history of Cleveland. And the, and the Cleveland Browns. Yes, sir. Um, there you go. Less of a movie question than an NFL question. How, how do they make these last second deals that, you know, three number ones and all that in matters of seconds and no forms, no lawyers? I mean, what, how, how does it work? Well, I asked that very question, and we try to show some of that, some of those mechanics. Uh, what has to happen is both teams who make the trade call it in. You see it happen in the last reel here where there's a um, NFL official table and the people who really do that job are the ones that are in the movie. They take the call. I don't know if you remember one of them says we got, a, we got something happening. Jacksonville Browns. And um, they start writing things down. They check. That's why the 10 minute clock doesn't start right then. And they have to check that it's um, that everything is fine on the deal, um, and they're the ones that are the sort of notators of that moment. And then Goodell or somebody from the NFL gets up and announces it to the crowd. The 10-minute clock starts, and the deals start to get. But you made. are correct in your supposition that these deals are made without lawyers um, uh, and basically on a handshake. In fact, just a verbal okay over the phone. And then it all gets phoned in. But, but I, and there is a sort of a code of honor that when you make a deal, you stick with the deal. And, uh, 
at least so far, we, I, I hadn't heard of any reneges. Uh, well, there can't be a renege because it's, it's um, locked down by the league. When both teams call and they say, we've just traded A, B, and C, and that's what's written down, and that becomes the official record of that deal. When you see two guys, one, one guy's on the phone with one team, the other guy's on the phone with the, the other team, and then they tell each other what was said, and they both have to agree. Uh, yeah. and, and as they mentioned in the movie, I was really surprised to hear there have been teams that have not done their, uh, uh, who have missed the countdown. Yeah, the and, Vikings. And, yeah. and missed, their, missed their, their choice as a result. Can you talk a little bit about the release date? It's an interesting time to be releasing this on April 11th when it's kind of right in the start of baseball season, although the draft is a month away, but it kind of works for home video. But is there any thoughts about releasing it closer to football season from a theatrical release standpoint? Or can you talk a little bit about that decision, please? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, needless to say, it's a conversation that we had with the stu- studio from the moment that they got excited about the movie and said, well, this is kind of a good movie. We should do something really special with it. And, there was a lot of conversation about having it go at the beginning of football season, which is the middle of the summer. Um, I was concerned that it, the draft for 2014 would have taken place and that the movie feels so real and um, that it was old news and that it would mean our release would be in September, which is not a date I'm crazy about unless you're trying for uh, an Academy Award. Uh, which I'm certainly not expecting with this film. The, um, the, my sense was that the draft becomes a big part of the football conversation in, in March and April and that perhaps we could be part of that national sports conversation as a kind of added marketing bonus. At least that was the thinking until Captain America did $95 million this weekend. <laughs> um, so they're going to do at least 45 next weekend. So we're not going to be number one. But, um, look, it's tough every week out there. And it's our hope, it's our belief that this is the kind of film that whatever it does in its first week, um, it's going to hang around. We've, we've been showing the film a lot because we believe in how it plays. And we hope that that will give it a nice life. It, it was exactly one year ago this week that we were shooting in New York at Radio City. That's when the draft was. They moved it a few weeks later. It's now the first week in May. Um, I'm not quite sure why they did it, but they did it's, do it. It's because Radio City was being used for the Easter show. That's it. And they wanted to stay at Radio City. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and for uh, America's Got Talent, I think. And, yeah. and one of the other reasons was is that this film does appeal to foot. We hope it appeals to everyone, but it really appeals to football fans. Well, during the football season, football fans stay home on Thursdays, Sundays, Mondays. And, uh, I think they're starting a Friday night game, aren't they? Or something? No, it's, it's Saturday. Saturday. Friday is uh, high school. High school, yes. <laughs> Anybody else? Up there. Hi there. First off, I'm a San Diego Chargers fan. Love the Ryan Leaf reference, although it's still painful, very painful. But actually, one, things I, one of the things I really enjoyed about this film were the gender roles, particularly Jennifer Garner's role. And I'm just curious if there was any sort of concrete um, kind of inspiration for it of a real-life female executives in the NFL. I mean, it strikes me as such a masculine culture. And the movie, I think, does a good job showing her deal with that very maturely and kind of smack that down. And so I was just curious of any real-life counterparts. or Well, she, it's, yeah. it's predominantly a masculine environment for obvious reasons. But, um, in fact, 
women have been coming into it in a big way, particularly in the salary cap area. Um, and in fact, the Cleveland Browns have a woman who is very much the same age, very attractive, who works out of the office, who is their person, and who Jennifer Gard- Garner basically followed for a few weeks, talked to on a regular basis, uh, befriended, got all her notes off her desk, uh, who does exactly that job. So, good question. One last question before we go. I'm very curious. You were talking about the release date, and social media plays a very important part in the longevity of, of uh, distribution. And with some curious, just how you're, just in terms of your thought process, with having said Captain Phillips should make 45 million next weekend, or Captain, Captain, Captain America. America, sorry, like I'm just, I'm nervous. Nope. <laughs> um, like, are you, are you using the social media, you know, in your distribution process to carry the life through and, and help with the longevity of this project? Yeah, sure. Uh, we, we found Lionsgate is the distributor, and we were just all talking about this just this last week about how effective, and uh, we've not, we haven't had a movie distributor of ours in about a year and a half, and just in that period, how, how much more elaborate the thinking process goes into, you know, working, using not just television and radio, the traditional media, but um, uh, really doing through the Internet. And as, uh, we are very fortunate because of the sports uh, relationship and the, um, and the NFL relationship. We've, we really have done a lot of stuff. You just check us out on on Twitter or in God knows anything else you can think of. On we're, Facebook, we're gonna... <laughs> on, on Electronic Arts, on their Fantasy Football League, all done online. There are millions of players, people who, who play fantasy football and who actually follow the draft and uh, know all of those things. Anyway. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ivan, Tom. I just, uh, <laughs> just want to say... On behalf of the three of us who live here, on behalf of Genevieve and I, who've lived here now for 20 years, how lucky we all feel to be here. And, and it's so nice to have, uh, and hopefully we'll see you outside and say hello. Yeah, we have okay. a reception for everyone afterwards in the lobby. And so come out and enjoy cheese and, I believe, wine. I think that's right. Oh, and, tell your friends, um, come see the movie. We'll all be there. <laughs> and spread the word. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.